Hello, Rockbridge. Want to welcome you. My name is Matt. We are one church, six physical locations, and also online. So those of you that are online, want to welcome you. However you have engaged with us, thank you so much. We're in the middle of a series taking us through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on, open them up. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 8. But before uh, we get there, I just want to remind you of a couple of opportunities. So, hey, if you just ever need to talk to someone and, and are in any of these locations, all six of our physical locations, we've got staff, pastors, elders that just are having coffee and they're maybe doing some emails or fa- call, talking on the phone, but they'd be happy to say hello, happy to answer a question, happy to talk to you. This is where they're at at all six of our physical locations. Just a great opportunity for us to be in the community and interact with folks. Also want to just remind us we have launched a new process uh, for membership, and we believe being a member of a church is biblical and, and necessary as part of our followership of Jesus. We call our process going all in. So at all of our campuses, uh, there's just opportunities for that. It is a great way, even if you're just kicking the tires on Rockbridge and kind of want to test drive who we are and what we're about, you can ask questions and we'll help you in this process learn more about Rockbridge Community Church, who we are, why we exist, and uh, what we believe our mission and our vision are. All right, so we are in this series called Ripple Effect, and what we have said in this series is that when Christ died on the cross and Christ rose from the dead, those are historical facts, it is a giant ripple effect in the human heart, it affects the human condition, and it affects everything. It's designed that way by God, and so Paul is writing to a church that's kind of messed up, right? There's hope for us, right? It is a messed up situation in a messed up pagan city, and Paul is writing in a corrective tone, but born from love, that they would know the full effect of the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's an overview just to catch you up in case you have missed some of these. They're all online as well if you want to catch up. So today we're going to talk about something that really affects and relates to all of us because all of us make decisions. All of us then sometimes second guess those decisions. All of us have a, a think about certain things and sometimes we're like, man, am, am I thinking about this correctly? So you've asked these questions, right? Have I made the right decision? Have I handled myself in the right way? Is my thinking on this right or is my thinking on this correct? Now, for some of you, you know, you're, you're kind of wired to be a second guesser and you're wired to doubt yourself. Maybe you're even a little indecisive. And so you're like, Man, yes, and that's kind of where you are now. Or you make a decision and it's like months and years later, you're still asking these questions. Others of you, you know, you're more decisive. Some people might say you're more impulsive. And you ask these questions, but you ask them like in a 30-second span, and then you move forward with it. Now, what we're going to see in the text today is it's not so much these, these questions, but it's what gives us or what influences the answers to these questions. So you kind of think, am I, did I make the right decision? Am I thinking right about this? And, and you filter it, sometimes subconsciously, through several factors, one or more of these, right? You might filter it through your past, your personal preference, or your pride. Your, is How does it affect me? How does it, does it help me? Does it advance me? Does it hurt me, right? So you filter all your thoughts, your decisions through that. Sometimes we filter through principle or conviction. Like I, this is a principle for me. It's a conviction. It's like gravity, and I won't violate gravity, right? We all have biases. 
biases, meaning we see the world a certain way, and we have this thing called confirmation bias. Everybody, everybody has it where, hey, I think this way, and then I just go look for other people to confirm the way I think or the way I feel. Pretty dangerous to be that way, but we do that as part of our human nature. We have authority. For some of us, it's the Bible. For some of us, it's, hey, what would my parents think? What would my boss think? What would culture say? about this decision. And then we have this thing called the conscience, and we have our gut. You ever heard people, my gut just told me, right? And so all of these things we factor in, sometimes very quickly, sometimes subconsciously, when we're making a decision, when we're forming an attitude. Now, what Paul is going to teach us today is this should affect everything. So when you decide to do something, the cross Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, what we call the good news, has an influence, has an impact, should come into how you make decisions and how you think. Now, here's what we've said is so challenging, and it's why some people quit coming to church. It's why some people, like, don't get anything out of the Bible because they're like, hey, I don't see how this affects how I live and how I spend my Mondays and what I do on Friday nights. I don't see how this applies to so many decisions and so many things in my life. Yeah, I might believe in this. Yes, I might be at church or around Easter time. But you know, really what? I just got to go out and do my thing because this doesn't affect how I think and how I make decisions in about 95% of cases. And what Paul's going to do is kind of blow that up and teach us a new way to think a new way to make decisions, a new way to know, are we handling ourselves the right way? And so he addresses an issue going on at the church at Corinth that, you know, we don't necessarily face it, but we face similar issues. And so what's going on? He says, now, so he's changing kind of, I'm going to talk about something specific about food, which is really meat that was sacrificed to idols. So in the city of Corinth, they had these temples and they were to pagan gods and they would bring in animals, and they would sacrifice these animals to appease the gods or as kind of an act of worship. This is not Jewish Christianity, or this is not a Jewish ritual. It's not Christian. It's pagan. It's totally in the Roman Empire. And so this meat was being sacrificed to idol, which is something we think is God or act like it's God and controls us like it's God, but it's really not God, right? And, and so the question was, can we eat that meat? As Christians, can we eat... This meat that has been sacrificed to a false god, that has been sacrificed to a god who doesn't exist. And so the question is, what do you do with meat that was sold at the market that has been offered to an idol? That was the question. Now, there's, there's a lot of, you know, is there, is there a chapter or verse? How do we think about that? So you may have an issue that you're like, hey, I just don't know how to think about this. And so write your issue down. Let me give you some examples. This passage is going to speak to us about this. What about alcohol? What about masks? Remember the COVID era and masks or no mask? And, man, do they work? Do they not work? And you could find people who could tell you convincingly one way or the other. Right? And people got all mad if you had to wear a mask and all mad if you didn't wear a mask. And Christians and churches got all mad at each other because one side of the room wanted to wear a mask and the other side of the room didn't wear one of their masks. Does the Bible help us with that? It does. Hang on. What about dress codes in church? What about voting? Right? I mean, who to vote for? I mean, does the Bible help us with that? Because churches got all bent out of shape about who to vote for. I mean, one guy was, is for abortion, and one guy bragged about touching a woman's genitals, right? And we're Christians. Both of those are very wrong, right? 
And we got all mad. And if you're not voting this way, maybe you're not a believer. If you're voting this way, what do you think about that? You know, it's crazy, right? What about tattoos? What about should Christians go to bars? I mean, all of that and more is going to get addressed as Paul talks about meat being sacrificed to idols. So hold on, right? Now about food sacrificed to idols. Here's what he says. Well, <clears throat> we know that we all have knowledge. So just like us, a lot of people think the key to making a great decision is more information. Have you ever thought about a decision you had to make and you spent a lot of time on Google? You can raise your hand if you want to, right? I mean, we're just always searching and seeking and who's got an opinion and who can help us think. And so a lot of us, we believe the, the answer to, uh, to making good decisions is having more information. And Paul says, well, hold on, because knowledge can puff up. You can become what you think is a know-it-all, but he adds a little factor and it just kind of tells where he's going. He says, but love builds up. So you can have all the right information to make a good decision, so to speak, but, your, but love might actually be missing. Now, now this speaks to us in, on a couple of fronts. One, we live in the information age where there is more information at our fingertips than at any other time in the history of humanity. And there's a lot of people that believe information is our savior. If I just know more, I'll be okay. If I just know more, you know, life will be better. But in fact, if you look at the history of humankind, the, the deadliest wars and the deadliest examples of human sinfulness have occurred because we have so much information. So, so that's kind of a, a conundrum there. And then Paul adds love, and, and we got to think differently about love because in society, you know, love is sort of love is love, right? Nobody really knows how to define love. And so God, Paul's going to help us on all those things. So here's what he's saying. He's like, there's some of you that think you know the right answer about should you eat or not eat the meat sacrificed to idols. If Paul were speaking to us, he might say, hey, there's some of you who think you know that you know that you know how you should have approached masking, that, uh, how, you should have, uh, how you should approach alcohol, how you should approach dress code, how you should, you think you know it. And then he says this, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. Everybody say, not yet. Not yet, right? So we ain't there yet. Nobody's arrived yet. Nobody has a monopoly on all the knowledge. So he's backing the crowd up that's sort of prideful in their knowledge, okay? And then he says this, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And that's kind of an interesting twist of words. And so what he's saying is, look, if you have come to know God as your Savior, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today, online, all six of our locations, and that's for Christians. That's for people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus, who've given them the steering with their life. But that's a response. Becoming a Christian is a response to what God has done for us on the cross. And so if we love God, we're really loving God back. He first loved us. So if we love God in a personal relationship, in a submitted relationship as followers of his son, as sons of the Father, as temples of the Holy Spirit, then it means God knows us intimately, personally as his kids. 1 John 4 explains this, says this, We have come to know 
and to believe the love that God has for us, that love demonstrated, poured out on the cross when he took our place, we love because he first loved us. So we love him back, and we love others because he initiated on the cross. And then he goes on, he says this, if anyone says, I love God, that would be like vertical love, me to God, God's above, I'm below, vertical, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. And so we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So here's what Paul's saying. You can live and believe, man, I love God. But if you're not, that's vertical, if you're not loving horizontal, Paul says, you probably don't really love God because the horizontal and the vertical are connected, are connected. And so what he's saying is, hey, there's a lot of you who think you know. You think you know what God believes about meat sacrificed to idols. You think you know what you should do about masking, alcohol, pick your issue. But you may not yet know if the horizontal piece isn't correct. So, so let me back up and say this to all of us. Oftentimes, we do not think deeply enough, intently enough, nor biblically enough about love. We just sort of love as we've been loved, or we really just do what comes natural. It's like why in marriage, you know, when you're first dating and you kind of get the feeling and, you know, you really are intentional about dates and you're intentional about texts or handwritten notes or contact or how you spend your time. And then you get married and then you have the honeymoon and then you go to life happens and you find yourself becoming less intentional, less deliberate. And you're not thinking deeply about, man, how do I love my wife? Or how do I love my husband? Or how do I best love my family? And a lot of times that's where we are. And we just get in our 24-7 rat race. When's the last time you thought, man, am I loving my family the right way? When's the last time you thought, am I, man, I loving my neighbor the right way? When's the last time you thought, man, the person that I work with on second shift, am I loving him or her the right way? We just don't think that way, right? We think, man, we need milk tonight, right? That's just kind of where we are. And Paul's saying, let's just, before we rush to judgment on the whole meat sacrifice to idols thing, we got to stop and think about love as it has been given to us by Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the ripple effect. Now, so he comes back and he's like, okay, let's go back and let's talk about our issue, our first century issue. You've got your issue, I've got mine, but this issue informs ours about eating food sacrificed to idols. Well, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. So look what he's using. He's using that word again. Man, we know those idols were not real gods. The real God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The real God put himself on a cross for us instead of us Three days later, he rose again from the dead, verified he's the son of God, validated his identity. So we know the real God. So the, the argument is, because he's the real God, that meat sacrificed to idols, there's nothing wrong with eating it because those weren't really gods. Because we know there's only one God. And he kind of expands upon that. He says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, 
the Father. And he basically gives Christianity theology in a nutshell. He repeats what's called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy. There's only one God. It's Yahweh or the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Messiah. So he says there's only one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And then there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him as well. So here's what Paul's saying. On the surface, there's nothing on the surface, there's nothing wrong with eating the meat. Okay? You know, there's some people who say, hey Matt, can I have a beer? On the surface, there's nothing wrong with it. Hey, what about should I wear should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? On the surface, that's what he would say. You're taking some issues and kind of blowing them out of proportion. But on the surface, there's nothing wrong with eating the meat. And then the second thing that's just clear in the text is this. At a very deep foundational and formational level, Christ followers stand upon, agree upon, and unify around one central truth. And that central truth is there's one God, creator, savior, Lord, and we have one goal. We exist for him and we exist for his glory. So on the surface, this is what Christians agree upon. There's some issues we don't agree upon, but this is the one we agree upon. And on the surface level, there's nothing wrong with eating the meat. Now, let's close in prayer and go home, right? On the surface, there's nothing wrong if I go do what this, what this thing, if I go do that. No, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with it. And I agree with this, Matt. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. Let's close in prayer and go home. But he doesn't end his thinking there because he's pushing us deeper into the heart of God on the cross, and the heart of God on the cross is love for sinners and rebels like you and me. So here's what he says. However, not everyone has this knowledge. So he's basically saying, listen, you're assuming something. You're assuming everybody comes to faith in Christ the same way, you're assuming everybody kind of had the same spiritual starting point and everybody kind of comes in and there's this aha moment and we're all the same as Christians. And everybody looks at every issue the same and everybody's going to agree about meat, sacrifice to idols or how to vote or who to vote for, or where to wear a mask, not to wear a mask, or you should or you shouldn't go to bars or you should or you shouldn't get tattoos. Everybody's just going to think the same way about that kind of stuff. No, 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 they're not. No, 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 they're not. Be, be, because we all come in with different stories, with different backgrounds. So Paul is concerned about the church being unified around the one foundational truth and not coming unglued around these other peripheral, non-foundational issues such as meat. That's what he's concerned about. <coughs> so, he's, so how do people that don't have the same spiritual starting point, how do people who see issues differently that are not explicitly tied to that foundational truth, how do people unify? How do people agree? How do people come together? How do people stand together? He's teaching it. Remember, not everybody has the same starting point. And here's what he says. Some people have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, and he says it's weak or it's immature or it's not fully formed, their conscience is defiled. So here's what he's saying, okay? <clears throat> he's saying, listen, imagine someone who has been going to the temple of Athena 
or Zeus, or you pick your pagan Roman Greek fake god, and they have been going there all their life, and they've been sacrificing meat to idols because that's how they were raised. That's what's prevalent in their culture. That's all they know. And then one day, they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They realize they're a sinner in need of saving. Their goodness won't save them. Their culture won't save them. Their false gods won't save them. Only a crucified and resurrected Savior named Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can save them. And they surrender to Christ. And they give Jesus the steering wheel of their lives. And then looking at their past and looking at all that time in the temple, they want nothing to do with it. And so for them, their conscience is like, I cannot go back there. I cannot go and have that meat sacrificed to an idol. I don't want anything to do with it. So so he's like, think about them. Think about them. Think about like people that, you know, were really passionate about wearing masks that might thought they would die because they have a pre-existing condition or something. And we didn't know what we didn't know about COVID. Think about that. Yeah, but I heard this guy on YouTube. No, 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 no. Think about them, Paul says. Yeah, but we're right. Think about them, Paul says. He's going to keep expounding upon this. But to understand something, we got to zero in on this word conscience. Everybody in this room, everybody listening has a conscience. Here's what we just understand for our conscience. It's our personal sense of right or wrong. Your conscience accuses you and tells you you've done something wrong, or it excuses you and tells you you're good. Your conscience will look back and convict you, should have done that differently, or it'll reassure you, good job, all right? the reality is nobody has a perfect conscience. And here's why. Your conscience gets set, and your conscience can change. Your conscience is not a thermometer. It's a thermostat. It measures and it sets the temperature. And what can set our conscience? Upbringing, feelings, culture, flesh, pride, past, all those things we said at the beginning that get factored in to decision-making, that's kind of things that can set our conscience. But Paul is going to push us because the conscience is a gift from God. The conscience is the first indicator that there is a higher power and there is a moral code, right? It's why some, it's like most of us universally are like, <gasps> when we hear about rape or child abuse, Because our conscience just says that's despicable. If there's no God and no creator and no one who gave us a moral DNA, how do we explain moral outrage? It's a factor of the conscience. But nobody has a perfect conscience. So he goes on, and we need to make two distinctions. So this is important to Paul. We can sin against our conscience. So if we believe our conscience is red light, yellow light, green light correctly, then we can sin against our conscience, okay? We can sin against our conscience. Secondly, we can calibrate our conscience by, by culture, by society, or by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the wisdom found in the church that God puts us in and created us for in that community. 
So when we, know, when we believe our conscience is not correct or is not informing us correctly, we can calibrate it. Some of you have a guilty conscience. But your conscience needs to be calibrated by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which will cleanse your guilty conscience. Some of you, your conscience is not affected by how, it affect, how you or your actions affect other people. That's what Paul's saying. So we might need to calibrate our conscience. But we don't want to sin against our conscience. So there's a tension there. <coughs> now, back to food. <coughs> Here's what he says. Food will not bring us close to God. What brings us close to God? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We couldn't be in the presence of a holy God. We'd be consumed by his holiness and our sinfulness. He can't stand it. So Jesus stood in the gap. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. The blood of Jesus redeems us. The Holy Spirit fills us, right? So that's how we stand. That's, how, that's what brings us close to God. Alcohol, masking, you put your issue there. That nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ brings a human being close to God. <clears throat> so from there he says, listen, if we don't eat the meat, we're not worse off. And if we do eat the meat, we're not better off. It's just not that big of a deal because it doesn't bring anybody close to God. So here's where he's going. There's a thing called matters of conscience. Matters of conscience are not the basis of Christian unity. The basis of Christian unity is what brought us all close to God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But matters of conscience could actually be an occasion to love someone. Differences can be an occasion to love someone. We live in a culture that does not want to get people who think differently or have different consciences set to different levels. We want to go just be with people who think like us, act like us, and have the same matters of conscience as us. That would be a travesty to the unifying power of the gospel if churches across America just started unifying by their position on a political issue or just started unifying on how they voted in the last two election cycles or started unifying around how we should approach COVID or not. No, we unify around the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing else and nothing less. So here's what he says. But be careful that this right of yours, so you have every right to eat that meat. You have every right, maybe, to wear that mask, not wear that mask. You have every right, Christian, to take a sip of alcohol or not. You can go to the bar or not. You pick your issue. But be careful that what you have a right to do does not become a stumbling block to someone else's faith journey or a stumbling block to the weak. Now, that's un-American. And I'm going to call everybody in this church. We are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus before we are citizens of this great nation called the United States. 
And we can't let any commentator or political orator sway us from that. Because it's very American to insist, I have every right. You've heard it. Some of us have said it, right? I've, risen my, I've raised my right hand and said, I'll defend that right and die for that right. But I'm more of a kingdom person than an American citizen. So you have no right if it's going to stumbling block people. Okay? So, so think of it this way. Let's, let's use basketball. Imagine you got a player on your team, and, man, they, they are money. They can make a shot, and they, are, they shoot right. Everything is perfect about their form, and the game is over. And, man, they were 10 from 10 from behind the arc, right? 10 from 10, three-pointers, right? They were just, they could not miss. And, man, I had a great game. And imagine you said, oh, yeah, but you killed us. How did I kill us? My form was great. I didn't miss a basket. But you shot in the wrong goal. (laughs) Do you know what the goal of your faith and my faith is? Jesus told us that you love one another as I have loved you. Did Jesus, as the Son of God, as he hung naked on a bloody cross, insist upon his rights as 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 the divine being? No, he relinquished them to save us. He relinquished them to love us. So here's what Paul's saying, and and it's such a genius. It's such under the Holy Spirit. It's not about being right. It's not about exercising our rights. It's about being loving. It's about being loving. And then he expounds on what he Go back to the meat. He expounds on it. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge. Man, if you know there's really nothing wrong with the meat. You can eat it or not eat it. No big deal. But if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So he might be encouraged, and he's not as far along maybe in his faith journey, doesn't understand things the way you do, and, and maybe you don't understand some things the way he does. That could be an impediment to his faith journey. And here's how Paul says it. <coughs> Excuse me. So if the weak person, the brother or sister, and I, I can't, the fact that he put this in there is just it's so exciting. For whom Christ died. So you'll never lock eyes with another human being for whom Christ did not die for. That's how loved they are by God. Now, they may not have known him, may not have received him, may not have received that, but there is no human being, not any side of the aisle. There is no human being on this planet for whom Christ did not die for. So, The weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin, no, no, I was right. No, no, now you're sinning because you're not loving. But I was right, but you're sinning because you're not loving. But, Matt, I'm right about alcohol. I'm right about the mask, but you're not loving, so you're sinning. Matt, I'm right about who to vote for. I'm right about who to vote. You're right or you're wrong, but you're sinning because you're not loving. You see what he's saying? It's not me saying it. It's Paul saying it. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, 
We can't ask someone to violate a matter of conscience because a matter of conscience is not a matter of unity. Unity is Christ died for us. Matters of conscience can also be matters of disagreement, but they don't have to be matters of division. See it? Disagreement, but not division. Unity, Christ died. Therefore, here's where Paul lands. If food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. So I will not do anything that could in any way hinder the faith journey of another human being. And let me just be honest with you. You have to think about this because there are certain contexts where, like if you go to New York City and do certain things, people don't even think about it. If you did those same things down here in the Bible Belt, you'd cause people to stumble. You got to think about it. Where am I? How do people look at this issue? How do people perceive my actions? Am I going to come across as loving or unloving? And those of us, Paul would say, who are mature should always seek to get love right, first, foremost, and always. So, so here's the truth. We can be right and still be sinning. And then differences, according to Paul, and I agree, are an occasion for love. Differences are an occasion for love. So I want to give you three questions. And I believe you can filter virtually any attitude, any action, any decision, any choice through these three decisions, through these three questions. Not, and they're not, none of them are going to be, well, what's my gut telling me to do? None of them are going to be, you know, what do we do because we live in America? All of them are going to come, what do we do because we're kingdoms, we're citizens of the kingdom of the son who died so we could have access and entry into that kingdom. Here they are. What does the Bible say? What does God's word say? Ultimately, our conscience is constantly being transformed to align more, to be calibrated more with God's word. Secondly, what is my conscience telling me? The conscience is a real factor, it is a real factor. And Paul says, don't violate your conscience and don't violate and don't cause anybody else to lose their, violate their conscience either by how you proposition things or decide or act or something. So pay attention to your conscience. But be also be humble about your conscience because your conscience is not perfect and needs to be calibrated. And then the third thing, and this is the genius of Paul, will this build others up and will it show love to them? Will this build others up and will it show love to them? Three questions. Three questions to shape and reshape our conscience. Three questions that point us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Three questions that remind us, what did Jesus do? Jesus came according to the word of God. He accomplished what the word of God said the Messiah would accomplish. He died for you. He died for me. He died for us. He died instead of us. And the love of Jesus grips our heart and becomes what controls us is the fact that we have been loved by him. And so we want to give that love to others. So here's what I know. There's not a single person listening to me that doesn't have the need 
to be loved the way Christ has loved. And there's not a single person who doesn't need to look right now with the assistance of God's Word and the assistance of the Holy Spirit at how has your conscience been set? Has your conscience become oversensitive to culture? Has your conscience become oversensitive to politics? Has your conscience become oversensitive to past trauma? Has your conscience been seared? So things that you know should bother you are no longer bothering you. And so I want us to take our need for love and our, also our need to humbly put our conscience on the table for God's examination and, if necessary, recalibration. And I want us to read this scripture, and then we take the Lord's Supper together. How much more will the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished or perfect to God, cleanse our consciousness, consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve? so that we may serve the living God. And we serve the living God by loving horizontally as he has loved us vertically. And it's that vertical love that the Lord's Supper reminds us of. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same manner, after supper, he took also the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remind yourself of his love for you. You remind yourself of the ripple effect the cross has in the human heart. You remind yourself that no one can love you like Christ, and you recalibrate your conscience to his word, and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. You can take time to stay seated. If you need to confess something, confess. Don't take communion without confession. If you need to examine and ask God to look inside of you and look at your conscience, give that to him. And then when you're ready, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you observe the Lord's Supper, and you continue worshiping with us wherever you are. And I pray, I pray, I pray. That God's word has penetrated deep inside of all of us such that our consciences are being changed, being set to the love of God in Christ. We pray together. God, would you examine all of us and may we humbly present our consciences to you, our decisions to you, how we love others to you. And God, if there's anything in us right now that needs confessing, where we admit, agree, God, we're wrong about this. You're right. God, we want to repudiate that act, that attitude, that thought. But God, we want to receive forgiveness, and we want our consciences cleaned by the blood of Jesus. You just do that right now in your own heart of hearts. God, if there's anybody here today, and today is the day, where they hear the Holy Spirit knocking on their heart. <clears throat> their guilty conscience is longing to be cleansed. Would they come by faith right now and say yes to you, Jesus? Yes to your death. Yes to your life. Yes to your hope. Yes to your spirit. Yes to following you. And God, for all of us, may taking the Lord's Supper remind us 
of your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.